glad that you're here tonight. I love worshiping with you guys. I'm assuming you like it too. Okay, okay, good. Good. Maybe it's not so much with me, but with the band. Okay, perfect. Um, glad that you're here. We're in this series called Rhythms, kind of looking at some core values that we're kind of building Element City Church on, and really some values that in the end of the day are to become rhythms of how we live our life as Christ followers. Now, I recognize not everyone in this room is maybe a follower of Jesus, and I think it's awesome that you're here if you're not, and you're just maybe investigating. I think that's super awesome. And I want to encourage you to keep coming and to keep circling your life and, and investigating this guy, Jesus, because there is something about him. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about this idea that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and nothing is going to stop that. Nothing. And the church has gone through uh, circumstances, some by our own choosing and by our own doing, that have certainly uh, marred the image of what Jesus meant by that. But you think about it. How did a guy who never wrote a book, how did a guy who lived so long ago, why are we still talking about him? Why didn't the, the mighty Rome stamp out this Jesus movement? How did it outlast Rome? And no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you have to come to the conclusion that there is something very significant about this guy, Jesus. Even if you don't believe in him yet, or don't believe in that he you know, said what he said he did, that he died and he resurrected back to life to, to make a way that we could have a relationship with God and to clear that path that you don't have to do it on your own. And, and maybe if you don't want to buy that yet, you have to at least go, there's something about this guy, that we're still talking about him so many years later. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And we realize the church is not the four walls of a building, it's the people. It's a movement, and that we are invited to move this movement forward one life at a time. Remember, two weeks ago, I asked you, who's your one life? Who has God put in your kind of your sphere, your network, your connections that you said, this is, this is the per- person I'm praying for, because I want them to know that God loves them, that he knows their name, and that he cares about them. Last week, we talked about this idea that one of the values we have around here is avoiding the bleachers. That it's not enough just to kind of be a member of a church, like I'm a member of a gym. I actually got to go. I got to be a part of it. I got to do something with it. I don't just sit and take it all in. And that's cool if that's where you are, and maybe that's a season that you need. But that's not the eternal season that we're to be in. And so we have this calling. And we're kind of building around this rhythms. Rhythms are a part of life, right? How many of you have ever been in a drive-thru before? There is a rhythm of a drive-thru, right? People pull up, they talk to a box, they pull forward, pay, and go, right? Like, that should be the normal rhythm of a drive-thru. How many of you have sat in a drive-thru, you're like, hey, this is a pretty good rhythm, I'm moving along. And I... How many of you sat in a drive-thru, and you're like, man, this rhythm is all jacked up. Some, there's some kind of dissonance, people would say. There's a dissonance here that's not working well, and it's probably the person who's trying to order for the whole construction crew. Or they get up there, and they've been staring at the board for like five minutes, and they pull up to the box, and the box says, what would you like? And they go, I don't know. How many of you have ever been that person? <laughs> don't raise your hand. Okay. There is rhythms to life. There's rhythms to your dryer, maybe. Okay, you've, 
you've kind of put things in your dryer, you turn it on, and it works, right? We used to sometimes put the car seat with our kid in it. When they were crying, we put them on top of the dryer. Why? Because there was something about that rhythm that kind of soothed them. Until a couple weeks ago when our dryer started having this really clunk, weird sound to it, and it's just this dissonance, right? And you're like, oh, that doesn't sound good. There's rhythms to part of life. There's rhythms to the flow of traffic as you drive across town, and there's these rhythms of how things should go, and maybe there's too many red lights for you, and that's okay. I see a lot of red lights. But when dissonance happens, it's when someone has an accident. How many of you have been in an accident before? And you can look around, or you've been stuck behind an accident, right? And dissonance has happened, and the rhythm is thrown off, right? And I want you to think about that, because early on in Scripture, in the creation narrative, there's this rhythm and flow that's going And then this moment of dissonance that I think has a lot of application for us and one of the values I want us to talk about tonight, no one, no one should stand alone. No one should stand alone. That that should become a rhythm of our life and a rhythm of how we live our life and a rhythm of our church and how we work and how the church of Christ is supposed to work and the calling that we have. There's this narrative going on in Genesis. In the very beginning, the very first verse of Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created. Whatever your theory is and all that kind of stuff, and I've got lots of things I could talk to you about there, and that's, that's a whole other series for a whole other time. But the truth is, God began this, this thing that we all live in. God existed before it ever started. He's existed from the very beginning and before even the beginning of the beginning. God has been. And in the very beginning, God created. And there's this rhythm that you begin to see in creation is God creating and God seeing and saying, this is good, right? In fact, several times you'll read that in the first couple chapters as it's going through this narrative, this poetic narrative of creation and how it's unfolding. And you'll see this rhythm, you'll hear it. God created, God spoke and light existed. Never been before. And God speaks and he sees that it's good, right? And then this moment of dissonance happens. And in chapter 2, verse 18, here's what we see, this awkward moment, which had to have been in this rhythm of creation that's been unfolding. God speaks, it's created, he sees that it's good. God speaks, it's created, he sees that it's good. God speaks, it's created, he sees that it's good. And then verse 18 of chapter 2, here's what it says. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So I will make a helper suitable for him. Can I get an amen from the men? Okay. There's a lot here, bigger than marriage, okay? There's a lot to this. This is the first moment of dissonance in this creation narrative that's been unfolding. And we have to take notice of that. In fact, the law of first reference, kind of this rhythm that you would see in theology that says, hey, the first time something appears, it's a significant deal. It's not just an oversight or like, oh, that's a nice, interesting thing. There's something there. It's not good for man to be alone. God has created mankind, humanity. Adam is there. And God says, it's not good for him to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Helper in Hebrew literally means counterpart. It's like gears that fit together, and they need each other to turn. That's literally what the Hebrew image here of what's going on. And the truth is this is actually bigger than just marriage, though, because this is about humanity 
and our need for community. Friends, we were not created to ever live alone or created to live in isolation. And yet, so much of our life, we try to. And we try to out of many different reasons, correct? We try to because we've been hurt. How many have been hurt? Yeah. Here's the reality of relationships. They hurt. There's no way around it. And I don't care how good you are. You're going to hurt somebody. And you're going to be hurt. No matter how much energy you put to it, there's this notion that we were created, listen, we were created out of community to experience community. This, is, this will blow your mind. God is Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's a triune God. He's one. He's not separate. He's one. And I know this seems like a mind-blowing concept, but it is what sets Christianity apart from so many other different religions, that there is this notion that God exists three in one. It's not three different. It's three in one. And there's this notion of community happening. We've been created out of community. Remember verse 26 of chapter 1, let us make man in our own image. Let us Make man in our own image. We are created out of community. And when community didn't exist, there's something that has to catch our attention here. Here's what you have to realize. This first moment of dissonance is before chapter 3, right? We know what happens in chapter 3. That's when sin enters the picture. This is before sin ever entered the picture and God shows up and says, something's not good. That is huge. God says, Something's not right here. Community needs to exist. Isolation is not a divine statement. In fact, community is. We were created to live in community. We suffer from aloneness so many times. When we begin to isolate ourselves or we have environmental um, choices and decisions going on outside of our control or even our choices of our control begin to isolate us and pull us away from community and we run to isolation And what you need to see throughout the scriptures, friends, is that's never our best. It just isn't. God said so. That's not me saying it. That's God saying it is not good. Now, does that mean you can't have solitude? Does that mean you can't have alone time? No, that's not saying that. If you're a mom of toddlers, you need alone time. But what it's saying is, look, it is not good for you to live in isolation. I remember um, moving up to Colorado. When I got there, uh, I didn't know a soul. Anyone ever been there? You take a job, you move someplace, you don't know anybody. And I remember going to the mall and standing in the middle of the mall, surrounded by people walking around me. And I never felt more alone. See, listen, this the connected life that we're going to talk about tonight where no one stands alone is far greater than the surrounded life. And there are a lot of people who live a surrounded life. And my hunch is you have too. But somewhere along the way, I I need you to hear that God says, I want you to live this connected life because it's for your good. It's for your best that I desire this for you. Dr. Henry Cloud is a Christian psychologist. He says this, every emotional and psychological problem from addiction to depression has at its core emotional alienation. 
this notion where I kind of pull back and I push things away. And it doesn't mean that there isn't uh, medical help that's needed for some of those scenarios, and there is. But it's this notion that we have a drift in our culture, and we have a drift within ourselves when we get hurt, and we have a drift within ourselves when we feel overwhelmed, and we have a drift within ourselves when we are stressed or when we fail. And what's our drift? To drift toward what? Community or isolation? Isolation. I'm going to go into protection mode. Or I open myself up and it, I got hurt. And so I'm, now I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to pull back. And what God says is that maybe there's a moment for healing here, but that is not to become the new norm. Isolation is not a divine thing. Community is the divine directive. It's this notion that we have to move toward that. And, and aloneness when left unchecked, when left to grow, produces this fear and this anxiety and this, this deep sense of aloneness. Let me just ask you the real honest question. Have you ever felt alone? Even when you were surrounded by people that you knew or maybe even knew you. I, I want you to hear from a, a friend of mine, and we'll continue. Um, you know her but I want her to share a little bit of her story because this is her story. And maybe some of you might identify with Kimberly and identify with some of the story where God's kind of met her and some of the struggle that she had, and then we'll kind of pick up and continue on with this. So, Kimberly. This value of no one stands alone, it's one of my core beliefs. It's one of the issues that I base my life on. It's one of my foundations. Um, the reason it's so personal is because there was a time not too long ago where I was utterly and devastatingly alone. There was, I was looking out, I was beyond devastation to despair. And when I looked around to grab onto something or someone, there was no one. Some of you don't understand what that feels like. You've always had a family. You've always had a friend or somebody, a pastor or a mentor. I had no one. I didn't have a grandma or a grandpa or a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister or a, a dog. I, didn't, I don't think I liked my dog. I didn't mean I, there was nobody. Why? Because I did have a family, but they were a mess themselves. They weren't healthy enough to help me. I didn't go to church. I wasn't a Christian. There was nobody walking life with me, guiding me through. The people I hung around with were my partiers. And if you've ever been a partier, they don't want to hear about your life. They just want you to be fun. So I put a mask on and I was just fun. But you guys, I was drowning. I was drowning in the dysfunction of my entire life. There wasn't like one little good thing going on. I wasn't doing good in school. My dad was a drunk. My mom has mental health issues. I had an abusive boyfriend. I was partaking of everything the world had to offer. And I was so alone. A part, uh, I remember when I was 20 years old and I was curled up in a fetal position on my bed and I just found out that my best friend had just died in a car accident at tw two days before her 21st birthday. I can't even, unless you've been through it, I can't even tell you the, the devastation that I was in then. It was, it was just mind-blowing. And again, when I was looking for something to grab onto, I had nothing. And I had a lot of unanswered questions. Why? Why her? Why now? She was 20 years old. Who, gets, who dies at 20 years old? 
And they went unanswered. There was no one around to help frame my pain. At this point, I didn't have a relationship with God. I didn't even know he existed. There was no God there to help me, give me hope, let me see light at the end of the tunnel, offer me refuge, offer me comfort. One of my definitions of hell is this type of aloneness. I'm not talking aloneness where you go and you've got to decompress, especially if you're introverted. I'm talking about the disparity of aloneness where you feel like there's nothing there to let you wake up, for you to wake up to the next morning. At 23, I accepted Christ into my life. But before I did this, I had it out with God because I was still upset with everything that had gone on in my life. And I wanted to know where he was. Where were you when my life was imploding? Where were you when my best friend died? Where were you when my grandpa died? Why can't you fix my mom? Why can't you fix my dad? Why, where was he? And if I do this whole Christian thing, was he really going to show up? Because nobody in my life had showed up until this point. And when I'm down on my hands and knees and I'm praying, I'm like, God, what are you going to do? Where were you? And he says, Kimberly, I was there. I was often carrying you because you were ignoring me. But I promise you, with the blood of my son on the cross, I will never leave you alone. I've been following him for 19 years, and he has held true to this. He has never left me alone. One of the main reasons I show up to church, get up here because this is not comfortable, one of the reasons I do Bible studies or I mentor or I work with e-kids or I have Bible studies at my house, one reason I show up is because I don't want anyone to ever feel that type of aloneness. I don't want anybody to be in that type of pain and someone not point them to Jesus and say, you might be alone, but there is a God who loves you so much. He sacrificed his son. You will get through this. He promises. I don't show up because I'm a pastor's wife and I feel obligated. I don't show up because I need to check boxes to make myself feel better. I don't show up to get gold stars or A pluses. I show up because the cross demands it. Element City Church, there is a city of alone people out there. There is at your work, in your family, there is a group of people in this room that is feeling this alone. I was called, and you were called, to journey alongside somebody, to journey along and point them to Jesus so they will be less alone when they leave your presence. Maybe you can identify with some of that story. Maybe that marks some of your story in this, this journey that we all go through. Here's the reality of aloneness, okay? I don't care how wealthy you are. I don't care how well-connected you are. We will all log time in, in battling aloneness. Why? Because it's part of the human condition. God said it right, and then a chapter later, we broke it again. Genesis 3 throws everything for a loop. It breaks relationship with God. It damages relationships one to another. And ever since then, God's been trying to make ways for people to not feel and sense aloneness. 
He's trying to correct that by bringing his son to make a way where they could be connected to him and to repair us and to improve us and to become more and more who we were called to be and who we've been rescued to be to help meet the aloneness needs of others. It's part of our calling. It's this notion that we have to live in community. It's not an option. And I know, I know for some of you, you're like, Jack, that sounds really good, but you don't know my life. You're right. I don't. But I do know this. If you live in aloneness too long, the only one that loses is you. When you allow yourself, no matter how bad you've been hurt before, to say, okay, I'm not going to be hurt anymore, I'm going to build walls, and I'm going to be alone, then the scriptures would say to you, that is a foolish way to live, and you're the one who loses out. Now, is it okay to set up boundaries? Yes. Is it okay not to have people walk over you? Yes. But it is this call to be in community. I wrote this down. The truth is, God never designed you and I for a solo journey. Community is a must, even though it's sometimes messy. Relationships are messy, aren't they? Church and how we become a community that lives the connected life, it will be messy at times. But you know what you do in the middle of that mess? You work it out. And at the best, what you're shooting for is to say, I want the best I know how to work this out so that it helps me move forward. C.S. Lewis writes this, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. Maybe that's why the Hebrews writer, can I read these verses to you? In Hebrews chapter 10, writes these words to the church and to the gathering of early followers back in the first, second, third century. He says these words, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The funny thing is the, the word to spur on is the same word we use for provoking. Anyone ever been provoked to anger before? Come on, come on, raise your hand. I know we got angry people here. You've been provoked to anger, and when you're provoked to anger, you, you kind of mentally lose it, right? You kind of checked out, your amygdala got hijacked somewhere, and you're not thinking straight, and you are kind of, you are stirred up, right? That is the same word the writer of Hebrews is saying on the positive side. What he's saying is, with gusto, you are to spur one another on. And this isn't like a, hey, you could do it. Go. <laughs> no. This is, I'm in your corner, and I don't care what comes at us. We're getting through this together. We are living this connected life, and we are going to move forward together. And I'm going to provoke you to love and good deeds. And I'm going to encourage you. That same word, encourage, is the word, uh, similar word that we use for the Holy Spirit. This paraclete, this Pericleosis, this notion of coming alongside to be with. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, we need to live life connected. I don't know, anyone ever see the uh, Bear Grylls show, the latest one, Get Out Alive? How many of you watch that? A few of you. Crazy, crazy show. 
They drink their own pee. It's weird. Um, but they're out in the wilderness, right? And they have to get out alive. That's the premise of the show, right? And at one point, they have to hike up this icy glacier, right? The side of the mountain. And this whole team's got to get up there. And how they did it was really simple. How many of you have ever been rock climbing before? When you're rock climbing, you got one of these when you came in. They have a carabiner, right? And a carabiner, it just clips into this rope, and it clips around you. You got the rope tied around you. And how they did it is they were all clipped together, and one of them would start out, and then the second one would go, and the third one would go, and the fourth one would go, and 10 people are making their way up, right? And they're all clipped in together. So that if number seven, somewhere along the way, slipped, and he or she lost her footing, number six and number eight could help bear the weight of that slip or that falter. And I think there's a lot of truth there for the Christian life and the journey that we're called to go into to live this clipped-in life, to say, I'm going to live connected. And I know it may be hard, and I may, it's not easy to foster friendships, is it? It takes work. It takes time. But what the Bible continually says over and over is this isn't enough, just you and me. Remember Genesis chapter 2? It's not good for man to be alone. Adam had the best connection anyone could ever have with God, and God still showed up and said it's not good. There wasn't sin. There wasn't any lack of resource. It was perfection, and God still said this is the moment of dissonance. It is not good for man to be alone. That's why Jesus comes along and says, you want to know what the greatest commandment is? Love God, what? And. And what? Love others. It's not enough just to have you and God. That's a great part, and God made a way for that to happen through Christ, but that's not enough, the calling that we have. Why did Jesus hang out with 12 disciples? You ever ask yourself that question? I mean, it sure seems like they were a bunch of bumbling idiots, right? You read through the gospel accounts, you're like, man, these are dopes. They can't even get it. I really like them because I relate to that. Why did Jesus hang around with 12 other disciples? Could it be that he was actually giving us a glimpse of what this connected life, going all the way back to Genesis 2.18, it's not good even for the Son of Man to be alone? Wow. That is a heavy calling. And so as a church... We have to live with this notion of saying, I'm going to live the connected life. I'm going to choose this. And it's not always easy. It's not always easy. If Jesus had a, a statement, it was like a most, a most basic statement of how to live life the best possible way, it was a relational message. In fact, you can read it in John 13. You, you know this verse, you've heard it. John 13, 34, 35. Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and he says, a new command I give you. Now, stop right there. Who gives commands? Who gave the first ten? So what is Jesus saying here? He's not giving a suggestion. He's not giving a little tip, a little trick for life. He's actually saying, a new command I give you. And by the way, yes, that means I'm God. That's really what he's saying here. A new command to give you. Here's the 11th commandment, basically. He's saying, you love one another as I have loved you. He's modeled this, right? You see that all throughout the encounters he has with the disciples, how he's led them around. You love as I have loved you. 
by this all men will know that you are what? That you are my disciples. By the way you love one another. Not by how many Bible verses you know. Not by how many services you've attended. Not by how well you play the guitar. Not by how well you greet people. Those are all good things, right? But Jesus makes it really crystal clear here. Everyone, everyone in the city of Tucson is, let's make it real practical. Everyone in the city of Tucson is going to know that you're my followers by the way you love one another. Look around you. Say hi to the people next to you. Go ahead. Say hi to them. What Jesus is saying here is by the way you love the people you just said hi to, the city of Tucson will know that you're a follower of Jesus. That's what Jesus just said. Can you imagine the power and the influence a church could have when they love each other well? Dream with me a little bit. Can you imagine the impact that a church could have a movement of Jesus moving forward one life at a time. And how does that work out? By the way we love one another. We live the connected life, not a surrounded life, where I know about you, but I actually know you. And I'm going to actually spur you on. I'm going to provoke you in a positive way toward love and good deeds. I'm going to get to know you, and I'm going to allow you to get to know me that we challenge each other, we support one another, we encourage one another, we come alongside. And so here's the two things I want to give you for this week to kind of wrap your arms around this, okay? The first one is this. If you are struggling with aloneness, you have to move away from aloneness and clip into community. That's the reality of the story of Bear Grylls and hiking up a mountain. You've got to clip into community. How do you do that? Well, there's lots of different ways to do that. You can be in an e-group. Now, can you do that without being an e-group? Yes. We've got several different e-groups going on around here, meet in different regions. I encourage you to get connected to one of those. This takes time, okay? This isn't something that um, just magically will happen. This takes energy. There's lots of different ways. We have service teams. People serve around here. This may be um, you know one or two other people at work. And you say, hey, every Wednesday, we're going to have lunch together. And you initiate it. Maybe you don't have to buy all the time, but you initiate it. And say, hey, we're going to have lunch every Wednesday. Because I just want to live this connected life. Maybe we have tons of people to go out to dinner after this service. Maybe it's joining one of those groups and just going with them. Find ways to be connected. Because the connected life is far greater. See, I can build a lot of things in my life with money and resources but I cannot build a relationship without time. Do you hear me? I can build a lot of things with money and resources, but I cannot build a relationship without the investment of time. It just doesn't happen. Intimacy and connection with one another grows best by proximity. I've got a lot of technology that I can use to connect with people, and that's great, but it only goes so far. It's eyeball to eyeball, knee to knee, Bad breath to bad breath. I'm living life with you. Well, all two minutes, it'll be good. Here's what John Ortberg said. He said, if you think you can fit deep community into the cracks of an overloaded schedule, think again. 
it may mean that you have to carve some things out and make and create time to find connection with one another because you cannot listen in a hurry. You cannot mourn in a hurry. You cannot rejoice in a hurry. You cannot comfort in a hurry, and you certainly cannot love in a hurry. You can't be done. Busyness is one of the greatest enemies of community. (laughs) And so how are you going to carve out some time, some invested time to say, I'm going to live this connected life? I encourage you to figure that out and help take steps. We've got some different ways around here. Here's the second thing I want you to kind of wrestle with this week is as a church, as a followers of Jesus, if that's where you are, then we have a calling upon our lives and that is to remove the aloneness of others. As you read through the scriptures and you see story after story, interaction after interaction of Jesus, here's the pattern you see if you look close enough. Jesus meets them at where they're at He meets them at their aloneness spot. And then they're opened up to consider more about him. It's really that simple. With people who are struggling, Jesus shows up and he supports them. And then somewhere along the way, they're opened up to the message of who this Jesus is. Where they're really hurting, he comes alongside and he comforts. And then somewhere along the way, they're opened up to the rest of the message of who Jesus is. Maybe that's what the church should do. I don't know. It seems like a pretty simple thing when you think about it. Is it hard? Is it challenging? Yes. But we can do that. We can comfort those who are mourning through loss and change. What would it be like just to go through your week this week and say, God, would you help me to notice the people? Nobody noticed like Jesus did. And what if his church just began to notice the people that they're already around who are dealing with loss and change and just said, I'm going to try my best to figure out how to comfort. Can I bring you a Starbucks? Can we just go hang out? Can I do anything for you? I have a truck. Can I help you move? I don't know. Just whatever that may be. Can you notice the people who are being passed by? Can you support the struggling? Can you listen to those who are quietly hurting? What would it be like if we lived with the mindset and the eyes to say, God, would you help me remove aloneness this week from the people around me? Help me to notice it and to begin to step in the best I know how in that moment. Listen, your presence with people who are hurting is all they need. They don't need a sermon. Don't give them one. They don't need a Bible verse. Don't give them one. Did the pastor just say that? Yeah. People who are hurting, they just need someone to come alongside them. And it may open up opportunity down the road. But see, Jesus didn't start quoting scriptures to people, did he? He showed up and met them where they were at. And in the context of ministering to their aloneness, doors and opportunities opened. What would it be like to be a church and a part of the movement of Jesus that said, let's do that the best we know how? And are we going to fail at it at times? Probably. Are we going to mess it up? Probably. Are we going to miss opportunities? Probably. May we hit a home run occasionally? I bet we do. Because there's a city, as Kimberly said, that is struggling with what? Aloneness. And the church has the market on that. Because it's all about Jesus. God sent his son to pursue a relationship 
with us. Aloneness, I love this, aloneness always retreats when compassion advances. Aloneness will always retreat when compassion is advancing. What would it be like to look at your world and your relationships and your connections this week to say, God, help me to see the aloneness around me. Help me to remove the aloneness of the people around me because you said it wasn't good. And so help me to to step into those spots where I can do that. So here's what I want to do. We're going to move on with our service and we're going to offer a time of communion and we're going to sing a couple worship songs to close out and I'll come back up and uh, dismiss us tonight. I have a couple things to share with you. But I want to give you some space in this communion time and the next couple songs to think about that. Where are you at? Because the truth is we are always moving toward community or toward isolation. You are never idle. You're never just stalling out in one place. You're moving one way or the other. So where are you? And ask God, God, what would it look like to begin to move toward community? And then how can I begin to remove the aloneness of people around me? And ask him, who are the names of people that I can begin to see? Help me to see things the way you see. Because here's what we know through communion. The act of communion is just remembering the fact that Jesus and God said it's not good for man to be alone and we got separated from him because we are of our own rebellion and Jesus said, I'll go. And he showed up and he made a way and he lived his life and he died and he was resurrected to secure a path for us to not have to be alone from God but to have relationship and access to him. That's what we remember. We remember his death and his burial and his resurrection, his body, his blood given for you to meet your aloneness needs, to know that there is nothing you will ever face where you face it alone. And so would you pray with me? And then uh, there'll be a moment where you could take communion or any point in the next couple songs, you're welcome to do that. But I want you to think about how do you move toward community and how do you remove the aloneness of someone this week? Father, we, we pray. We thank you for uh, just the beauty of Jesus. We thank you for the church and the calling you've given us to help remove the loneliness of people. As we celebrate communion, as we remember the life, Jesus, you modeled. You're not just taught, but you actually modeled how we're to live. Would you help us to step into living more and more like you? Father, would you show each of us here maybe a step that we could take toward community and also an opportunity where we can remove aloneness this week. Stir our hearts, provoke us, Holy Spirit, tonight toward love and good deeds. As we meet together, would you stir our hearts as we worship you? We pray that in Jesus' name.